Welcome back to the show. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. I'm your host, James Jenkins. My guest for this episode is Joshua Goodman. Joshua is the Director of Business Development for the Kansas Association of Insurance Agents, otherwise known as the Kansas Big Eye. They are one of the oldest chapters, older than 100 years uh, in operation. So kudos to the good folks at the Kansas Big Eye and to Joshua for joining me in this conversation. We get all the way into association land, talking about Joshua's past as an agency principal and his current as an advocate uh, for you and I in the great state of Kansas. Really enjoy the conversation and just getting to know Joshua better. Uh, he wears a lot of hats uh, in, in advocacy, in education, uh, in helping agents be better at what they do, and uh, really enjoyed talking to him and his role as the Director of Business Development uh, for the Kansas Big Eye. He's got his finger on the pulse of what is happening uh, for independent agents uh, in that part of the country. So uh, thank you to Josh for this conversation, and we're just going to jump right in. No ask today. It is just Let's get to the content. This is episode 65. Uh, our podcast is officially eligible for Medicare. So we're going to start getting some spam calls, I bet. And that is it for now. Let's hit the bumper and get into the content with Joshua Goodman. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're going to have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. All right, back for another episode of Agency Freedom Podcast. My guest uh, for this go at it is Mr. Josh Goodman. Are you still in the Kansas City area, man? I am. All right, fantastic. Well, Josh, thank you for joining us on Agency Freedom Podcast uh, and giving us some of your valuable time and sharing your perspective on uh, your freedom jump, your time as a captive agent, and then you know deciding it was time to make your exit and then what happened after that. Uh, it's It's been a little bit of time since we've had just a good old-fashioned you know, freedom jumper uh, story, a, a biography episode. So I'm glad to get back to basics and just have a freedom jumper on, you know, no carriers, CEOs or vendor partners or whatever. Uh, just two agents talking shop, man. Welcome to AFP. I appreciate the invite, James. Now, this is going to be good because uh, you are currently working on the association side of things, right? That is correct. I'm with the Big Eye of Kansas, also known as the Kansas Association of Insurance Agents. Very cool, man. No, I, I imagine there is a very interesting story of how we get to that point. So, uh, why don't you give us your, your background, kind of the, the quick version of how you got to, to this chapter of your career, and then we'll dig into the rest of that. Sounds great. Yeah. I've been in the industry since 2006, and coming out of college, um, I have a dad who's a State Farm agent. So as of now, he's a State Farm agent in Kansas City of 40 plus years. Uncles who are State Farm agents, um, one's retired, one's still active in Arizona. So coming out of college, I applied uh, State Farm naturally being a company that I applied to and got hired on catastrophe claims. So hmm. coming straight out of college, 
working for State Farm on catastrophe claims, they send you down to Florida for training on the HO3 policy. That was a six-week training on just the HO3 homeowner's mm. policy. So I got an in-depth look at the HO3 policy. Mm. From that six-week training, straight into the field, following up on tornadoes, hurricanes. I started in 2006, so that was right after Katrina. Um, so I missed that hurricane, but I did work tornadoes. I worked Hurricane Ike and uh, different catastrophes. And that helped me to understand the importance firsthand of insurance and um, really how it can be useful, um, if written correctly, uh, to help rebuild people's lives. And so those two things, understanding the importance of insurance, but also applying coverage in a claim scenario. So that was mm. really my foundation in insurance. Um, I worked catastrophe claims for about three years. I was on the road in 2008 for about 300 days. And wow. so as you can imagine that um, it takes its toll. Um, but I got married around that time and decided that I need to, to settle down and, and maybe get a real job. And I was able to go work for my dad at his state farm agency as a sales rep. Granted, I'm 25, 24 years old um, and just out there beating the streets trying to make relationships and, and sell. And I enjoyed that process. Um, but a year into it, I was a little frustrated with the captive side in trying to sell small business insurance. Uh, I was getting beaten um, both on coverage and rates and, and different things like that from other independent agents in the Kansas City area. So after a, about a year, I, I decided that it was probably best that I go the independent route. Now, I did check out going into agency with State Farm, uh, but there's several factors that just drew me away from it, one being the actual agency contract. Um, Another being and the I fact wasn't that you don't actually ever own the book. You're a glorified manager of sorts, right? That's correct. Yep. And I, I, I had that entrepreneurial spirit. I wanted to to work for myself and be my owner. And and State Farm agents are able to to do that um, to a certain degree, like you said, James. Yep. But also, no, I, always, I always find it amusing when people refer to themselves as agency owner. It's like the owner is really in air quotes if we're being honest. Because you don't really own anything. You're a manager. If You can't sell it. It's not your book. Those policies belong to the, the company. They don't belong to the agent. Very, very different than a lot of other places. Yeah. When it, when it comes time to retire, you're not selling that book of business you generated. And that was really another thing is I was not able to, um, when the time came, if I stayed with State Farm, I was not able to take over my father's book of business. Um, I may have had the chance to take over some relationships and some key policies, but there was there was uh, no second generation, if you will, like there is in the mm -hmm. independent insurance agency channel. So that all being said, I made the decision to try to become a producer on the independent agency side. And the way I went about that is I called, I cold called um, pretty much all the independent agency owners in the Kansas City area that would take my call. Mm. And I, I got meetings and I pitched them my business plan on how I would be a producer. But my caveat in that negotiation process is I wanted ownership of my book of business straight out of the gate. And you can imagine what those uh, agency owners thought. <laughs> what you have a 25-year-old kid calling you out of blue saying you want ownership, and so those conversations never really materialized. Um, they took my calls, they took my meetings, but no deals were made, and so I struck out. Um, but I knew I still wanted to own, and I knew I still wanted to be an independent agent. So I wrote my business plan, and I started calling every marketing rep in town that I could find their contacts. Nice. And I got meetings and, with some of them, and I pitched them. And again, you can uh, imagine what those uh, conversations – I didn't have a book of business per se. 
Um, yeah. I had about a year of producing, but I did, I was able to find some success with Travelers Small Business. They met with me and they gave me a direct contract based on my business plan and our mm-hmm. conversations. So, I was about to say, you're going to find somebody who's going to nibble on your hustle and your business plan. Somebody's going to take a swing at you when you come that prepared. So props to you for being that that intelligent with your foresight, man. Way to go. Yeah. And so Travelers, a uh, small business, marketing rep by Jason Langston. Good guy. He understood my vision and was able to get the deal done. So I started my independent agency from scratch in 2010 with probably two or three direct contracts and um, some wholesale contracts. And uh, the beauty of it is once you get travelers, then you can go down the street to, you know, insert carrier and go, hey, you want to give me a contract? Travelers gave me one. Yeah. And, and you're a lot more likely to get the second and third and fourth one once you get the first one. Yeah. And that's what I did. And a lot of them still said, no, let's, uh, you know, let's see if he's still here in a, in a year. But every six months, I would call those marketing reps and let them know, hey, I'm still here. I'm writing business and Travelers is getting all the business. Yeah. And um, and so did, I built did you, it. you play them Pearl Jam? I'm still alive. <laughs> I did not. I, just, I can imagine that going well. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not a singer either. So I didn't sing oh, it man. to him either. Um, but yeah, so I started in 2010 and the independent agency channel and the technology in 2010 was way different than it is now. And Mm -hmm. I started a traditional scratch insurance agency. I had paper files. I, my first agency management system was not cloud-based. It was all on my um, what was the first one? What did you have back at the beginning? I believe it was by the name of Instar, if I can hmm. remember correctly. And I remember being very excited when I got Tam online. Hmm. And if you can imagine starting an independent agency now with Tam online, uh, that would hmm. that would be tough, I would think. So um, it w- it was just different back then. It was it was a traditional insurance agency and uh there was a lot of manual processes that i was building out now keep in mind i was coming from the captive side so i was still learning all these processes as well and Mm -hmm. trying to sell um and and doing it all that way so Mm -hmm. now i believe in the traditional sales approach i believe in the face-to-face selling i built my business by cold calling networking referrals um, a lot of those state farm agents sent me referrals yeah. and I was able to build that up. But as we move into 2022 and 2023, we're now moving into more of a digitally focused data driven insurance agency. And so, yeah. um, it's a completely different approach. And I would love to get your perspective on, on some of those nuances that you just opened up with. So you, you started with Travelers Small Business. Uh, so were you predominantly commercial uh, at the beginning? Or did you go into personal lines at all? Or did you stay commercial through and through? So it varied. But my focus was small business. But I would write the personal lines insurance as well. So I was 60 to 70% commercial. And that was small business. And we would push up into the middle market eventually, the middle market space. But it was mainly small business. I always like asking, what what do you mean when you say middle market? Because that's a totally subjective term. It means sure. different things to every agent. Uh, for you guys in your shop, what is middle market? So middle market has evolved for myself throughout my career as well. Um, mm-hmm. When I started my agency, middle market was... 50,000 to 250,000 a premium, which can still be, in, in my perspective, classified as that. But more, I look at middle market now as more like 10,000 in revenue and above. Mm-hmm. There you go. I was hoping you were going to start using that revenue term instead of premium. The, yeah. uh, it's, man, it is such a captive thing. You know, I, I realized that, you know, when I launched Risk Well and, you know, started cutting my teeth. 
in the independent side. It's like all the successful people over here are speaking in terms of revenue, but literally everybody on the captive side just speaks in terms of premium. So uh, it's it's a very interesting shift that happens for sure. That, for the record, is also uh, what we would consider to be middle market. Anything more than 10000 in revenue for our agency uh, is kind of where the line is drawn for quote-unquote middle market. So... So what yeah. what happened there from the evolution? You know, you, you're in stage one. You're in you know the scratch, the startup phase of your agency. You know, talk to me about the, the just the the look and feel of things. What was your staff like? What was your your day to day? Your your marketing. How were you doing there in those early years? Yeah. So for the first several years, it was really all me, and then a part time service person. And then eventually a full-time service person. And like I said, I was I was doing a lot of cold calling. I would generate lists off of Manta and and just identify certain business sectors and just work the phones, work the phones. And um, on Fridays I would go to State Farm agents' offices and deliver bagels or or coffee or whatnot to to start developing those relationships for the personal alliance referrals. Um, and then eventually I was able to hire a key employee service person and get her in there and start developing actual processes to where I could focus on sales and, and managing the agency and she could focus on the service side. Um, but I made a lot of mistakes as well. You know, it was it was learning trial by fire. That's how I learned. Um, and if I started one now, I would do things a lot differently. And we may be able to get into that as well. But, but well, back that's then, actually the very next question I was going to ask you. you. You go ahead and finish your thought there. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I know what my next two questions are for sure. Yeah, I mean, back then I was focused on um, just bringing on revenue, really. Especially in those first couple of years, I had a new marriage. Um, we had our first child, and then I had another child uh, there after that. So, you know, we needed the revenue and uh, just to eat. Um, yeah. But after those three first two to three years, I realized that you can't just write. You can't just write anyone who who you talk to. You have to have yep. an ideal c customer. You have to stay focused and disciplined. You have to b build your book on that. So we transi transitioned some of those customers out of the book of business and then only started to write um, customers that, that, that landed in that demographic of our ideal client. So when you say transition them out, what you mean essentially is firing them from your agency, right? Absolutely. Yeah. How did that process go? I always love hearing people's take on this. How do you get rid of someone that no longer fits the, the profile of someone you want to work with? Well, I mean, it's an interesting approach, but there's, there's several ways to do it, I guess. And we did it through premium mainly and mm -hmm. premium volume. Um, and just letting them know that we're probably not the best fit for your needs. And we have relationships that people that can service you better we we can't service you what your needs are as well as you should be serviced and putting a no. positive spin on it and then making a, a referral um, but it was also not bringing on new customers that didn't fit our ideal client and no. being able to still because we were getting lots of referrals three years in we still wanted to provide value. So we provided them information about the market or whatever, answered their questions, but then also let them know we're probably not the, the insurance agency for you and then provide them a referral for somebody that, that could help them. Hmm. But it is a process. Now I'm trying to think what the, <laughs> what the previous question was uh, from before. Uh, oh, that's right. The the captives. So, um, how did the process go with getting getting in with the captive agents? Because that, I know what our process is. And as a former uh, six-year farmer's agent, I love getting 
farmers agents in that recognize how useful a quality IA partner can be for everybody. You know, it's, it's good for the captive agent or as we call it when we're talking to them directly, exclusive agent because they don't like being called captive. That's uh, it's a little bit of a touchy subject for sure. Uh, what's your process when you want to walk in the door, when you're interested in, you know, getting referrals from a captive agent? How does that work for you? Well, for me, it helped leaning on the credibility of my father and what he had built and his reputation in the Kansas City market. So him being State Farm um, in the 80s and 90s, he, he was focused on commercial lines as well. And he built a solid commercial book. State Farm's underwriting approach has changed since then. Um, but the, I, I utilize that a lot to get into my first couple of State Farm agents. But from there, it's just like any other center of influence. If you do a good job uh, for that referral, then word spreads. And then I was able to just go into other ones and let them know who I am, what I'm looking for. I had a hit list of past success of types of business that I have been able to help other State Farm agents leave that behind with um, bagels or coffee and just answer their questions. But really what they wanted was when they sent that referral over, they wanted to know that their referral was going to be taken care of. And even if it didn't fit my agency, my ideal client, that's why I still provide them as much information as I could about the marketplace about their risk, answered all their questions, and then provided them a referral to someone that could help them. That was enough. And so I was still able to take in those referrals and sort through the ones that fit my, what I was trying to do, but help everyone. And hmm. uh, word spread that way. And probably at one time I had 40 50 State Farm agents referring me business. Hmm. You know, How do you avoid, and I guess, you know, there's there's a, a touchy way of doing it for sure because you don't want uh, to be insulting for sure. Uh, but how do you communicate uh, to the captive agent, hey, don't give me the crap off the bottom of your desk. I'm really not interested in, you know, digging in the dirt with the stuff that, can't qualify with State Farm because it has three at-fault accidents uh, on the auto and they've got an open GL claim. You know, how do you go about communicating, hey, I'm not your trash can. Don't put your garbage in me. <laughs> That's a great question. So there's an art to that. But the way I approached it was building that hit list and showing them what I can do and what has been successful. But then also if uh, I would provide examples, if they do send me some non-standard business, then those policyholders would be required to pay 12 months in full. We don't write minimum limits. And so they would be 100, 300, 100 uh, auto liability limits at minimum. And they'd be provide, they'd be, they'd have to pay 12 months premium up front. Well, for non-standard, that's just out of their budget usually. And so it's just not going to work. And yeah. so um, it would just price them out of the market. And they can go online to Progressive Direct and pay monthly. Why would they pay six months or 12 months in full? So um, it was just providing those examples. And it, it was, again, it was a process you had to earn the trust, and so maybe you uh, bend the rules on the first couple and, and bring them on, but you still you bring them on the way you onboard them the, the way you do everyone else. And so hmm. that's the way no. I approached it. Love it, man. Thanks for sharing your perspective there. Are you looking for an insurance community to join? Have you heard of the LAAIA? The Latin American Association for Insurance Agents is just not for Latins. Their focus on diversity and inclusion over the last few years has made this 54-year-old association one of the fastest growing and the most dynamic associations in the industry. With established chapters in Florida, Houston, Dallas, Atlanta, and Denver, it's no surprise this association has the attention of everyone in this industry. 
Their upcoming national convention on beautiful Marco Island includes keynote speaker Trisha Griffith, the CEO of Progressive. National leaders from around the country like Marshberry, Vertifor, Lula, and more will be here on center stage as well. And whether you're an independent agent, a captive agent, life or health agency, or even a financial services professional, this association offers you everything you need to network and grow your business. Make sure you check them out and consider joining me, Jason Cass, at the next upcoming convention. It's going to be August 21st, the 24th, at the JW Marriott on stunning Marco Island. This has been Cass Approved. I'm going to go ahead and pivot to uh, back to your story now. Uh, you you did this for a few years, it sounds like. I don't know how long. I'm, I'm sure you'll tell us here in a little bit. And then you got to a point where you decided it might be time to make a change. Why don't you catch us up with, you know, what happened in the interim and and set the stage for, you know, the, the decision to, you know, move out and sell the agency, uh, you know, catch us up to that part of the story. Yeah, absolutely. So I started in 2010 and was able to grow it. We had between four or five employees and, and we had our process in, in place and, and we were growing, um, but I was getting to the point where I was a little burnt out as an agency owner. I had been working nights, weekends, raising a young family, and I knew there was it was it was time to make a change. And what that change was, I personally was looking for someone to come in and be a business partner, add capital to the agency. I really had two options. I could I could pare it down. And make it profitable because those um, this was 2017 2018 um, I had been just growth mindset growth 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 recurring revenue growth and trying to hit all my carriers and productions and, and everything like that um, as we all know as agency owners but so I, I had to make a decision it was pare it down make it profitable, make it more lean and grow slowly, or it was my ambition took over and let's bring a partner in, let's bring some capital in and let's double and triple the size of this business. So I started having conversations with people um, around town, you know, other agency owners, different things like that. And there were some different deals on the table, but there was one in particular of a reputable uh, agency owner in town that is third generation. And um, they had approached me the year before and I just, I was still in growth mode and still going, but this was uh, 2018 that we began talking. Um, I met with the agency leadership team. They had a great culture. Um, incredible people over there, been around, great reputation. And so at that point, they made an offer and um, I decided it was the best for me and my family to to make that change. Hmm. Love it. What's, uh, what was the factors in you selecting, hey, you know what? I like how this sounds because obviously money is important. The multiple, you know, gross multiple net after you, if there's any sort of, you know, outstanding debt uh, that is being assumed, if there's carrier loans or subsidies or anything like that, obviously the money is important, of course. Uh, but beyond that, because uh, there's a lot of people out there, myself included, that are in acquisition mode, that are actively looking to make those, you know, partnership overtures where you, you know, take someone like you, Josh, who's, you know, burnt out, tired of being an agency principal, would much rather just have a more manageable, you know, work-life balance and be a producer in a much larger enterprise. There's a lot of folks out there that are looking to have those kind of conversations on the acquisition side. So your perspective is really important of what was it about those conversations? You, you had a lot of them, it sounds like. What made this one stand out in a positive way? Yeah, I believe it was two things. It was the culture of the agency and the reputation within the industry. Um, but it was also the chance to refocus on sales and building my book of business 100% of the time. And so they had the um, 
processes, the service team, the carriers, and all that in place to where I could just refocus. Uh, as an agency owner, I felt like I was dealing with HR, I was dealing with accounting, I was dealing with uh, carriers. There was a lot of there's a lot of responsibilities that come with being an agency owner, and prospecting and and sales was was not always the priority or I had to get these other things done before then I could go out and and prioritize business development and sales. And so it was the culture and, and having a chance to build my book of business again and refocus on on the sales side of it. Hmm. So it was the infrastructure of the buyer. It was the the nuts and bolts that was able to free you up to live your professional life on your terms. It sounds like that's correct. Awesome. Well, good deal there. I, I know uh, you. You mentioned you are now on the association side of things. Uh, so agency life ran its course. Uh, how did you make the decision? You know, it's time to step out of retail uh, and move on to the next chapter. One, and then you know, one B, the immediate follow up question. Uh, why the big eye of Kansas? What is it about the organization that attracted you? Uh, so you chose, hey, you know what? I think it's time to you know switch over here and this is where I want to spend my time professionally. Yeah, that's a great question, James. So um, when I started in 2010, I became a member of the big eye of Kansas to gain resources and benefits to help me grow my agency. And then I got more involved through volunteering on committees and eventually uh, served on the board of directors. So I had a pretty good understanding um, of what the association was. I worked closely with the association and I understood the value of the association. I was the chair of the Young Agents Committee. I was able to gain um, access to markets through the association when I was building my agency. Um, and so I, me personally, I understood um, I could create relationships through the association on the agency side, uh, gain markets, like I said, and their business development person had left and I was working with the executive director to try and brainstorm on candidates that would be well suited for business development in that role at the association. And so the more and more that we talked, the job description really highlighted the skill set that I had with my background being on claims, starting an agency from scratch, going through the sale, the sale of the agency. And I felt like I had a lot to contribute in that role to help move our industry forward. And I felt like I could just have a greater impact overall with our industry as we move into this. I feel like we're in the transition from the traditional insurance agency to now the, the more digitally data-driven focused insurance agency. And yep. in that transition um, and kind of the generation that I'm in, I feel like I'm well-suited to help move that industry forward. And yeah. This role at the association is how I can be most effective in doing that. And, and so it really, it, it made sense um, with the people that, that I had worked with on a volunteer basis to, hmm. to again, make that change. Well, I'm going to double click for just a second because you just brought up a host of potential, you know, pivots to this conversation. Uh, you are second generation. You are uniquely qualified to see the industry from a larger time scale. Uh, I first came into the insurance world in December of 2012 uh, when I took uh, took the invitation from farmers to open a scratch farmers agency. So, yeah, it's it's a decade, but still, I mean, you literally grew up in the insurance world. You're, you said your dad's been doing it for, what, about 40 years, you said, right? Yeah, I remember going into his office and seeing the manual binders, how they manually rated premiums um, mm. back in the day. And that's well, that how just makes us grateful for technology, doesn't it? And, and typewriters and, and, and the rest. Um, and the green screens and all of that. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I did grow up in it. 
and um, I worked through it. Um, so, and- so your perspective of old versus new, when you talk about digital agency, when you talk about the, you know, the growth and the onset of the age of insure tech and digital native carriers, you know, like, you know, on the personal line side, like an openly uh, or a branch, you know, on the, on the commercial side, you know, there's a bunch of them. You've got your next or your attune or coterie or whatever that that is definitely a, a newer thing, certainly since 2015 or 2016, that really started to, you know, the avalanche rolling downhill. I'd love to get your take on maybe one or two of the biggest differences from the old guard, you know, the old way of doing business. Uh, you know, you, you used to have paper files for crying out loud. Like I, I've never once had a filing cabinet in my office ever. Uh, so the notion of Paper files is completely foreign to me, I have to confess. Uh, but what, what's your take on maybe one or two really big differences from the way it used to be done versus how it is now and, and in the future? Well, I would say one big difference is automation. So automation, when used effectively, creates efficiency, which hopefully generates margin, uh, profit margin and also enhances what we quote unquote call the customer experience. Um, So automation is something that I really didn't have much of in my agency. Probably could have utilized my agency management system as a lot of independent agencies still can utilize them more. Um, But the automation capabilities now in all facets of the independent agency are completely different than when I started my agency. So that that's a big deal. Um, and then also the data, being able to utilize data in ways that um, paper files don't allow you to do, uh, to aggregate data, to understand, truly understand your book of business, your clientele, marketing, and the rest is a huge advantage in the digital age compared to uh, traditional insurance agencies. So I, I think those are the two two main things. No, I, I think you're spot on with that, my man. Uh, not even going into the way that sales and marketing and networking happens, you know, the the onset of these different categories of risk that simply didn't exist 20 years ago in the way they do now. That's another conversation for another day, I'm sure. Uh, just as a side note, I'm really curious to see how these two episodes play into each other because uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, we're going to have Merritt Peters on the show. I'm recording with her. Uh, she's the president executive director of the Big Eye of Texas, otherwise known as IIAT, T for Texas. So uh, her perspective, kind of in a compare and contrast way with yours, Really interesting to see how that goes with Kansas, obviously one of the smaller state associations, you know, by comparison, uh, you guys have a different perspective. The, the, the caliber, uh, not caliber, the, uh, the, the profile, the, the type of agent that's in Kansas, the, the sort of lines of business, the sort of challenges that you guys have in Kansas, it's probably very, very different than Texas. Uh, so I'd be curious to see, you know, listening to this episode and then, Fast forward a couple of weeks and listen to Merritt's episode. You guys may have very different ways of looking at things. Yeah, yeah. It is different demographics. And obviously, Texas is a much larger state. We have around 325 members now. Um, and so, But we also do unique things at the, the association at, at the state of Kansas. We have a market access program for our members um, and, and different things like that. But the association, the big eye, The value really is in the expertise of the staff. The association and the big I has been around for, KI has been around for 100 years. The National Association has been around for 125 years. We have a lot of benefits and solutions for independent agents. But if we don't know how to understand our members and identify the solutions and benefits to help our members, then then it doesn't really help. It's just like being an agent. 
If you if you're not able to understand your commercial client and their business and how they operate, how they generate profit, then you're probably not able to analyze their risk and help them place the most competitive insurance policy. So it yeah. is similar in that. You know, I didn't really understand the value of an association uh, until I got the opportunity to travel to to Washington D.C. back in 2017. And then 2018 with a different association. This is back when I was a farmer's agent. We were uh, part of NAFA, which includes a lot of life and disability and financial services people. Uh, not terribly focused on PNC, uh, but got to go to D.C. twice. Got to meet with senators and congressmen uh, and, and see grassroots advocacy in action. And it, it, it was at that moment that I really started to appreciate well, wait a second. This is how laws get changed. This is how regulations get updated. You know, this is how you know progress uh, happens for the retail insurance agent. So it's for me, it's a lot more than just market access. It's a lot more than just you know asking a really smart person an underwriting question or you know you know how do I overcome this challenge for this insured or you know who should I be talking to at carrier such and such. It's you know even bigger than that of. Hey, you know what? The way that XYZ happens in our state, you know, for Texas, a really, really big concern is uh, the roofing contractors being completely deregulated. Uh, there's there's a lot of challenges with roofing deductibles and and fraud around roofs in the insurance uh, you know marketplace in Texas. Uh, Texas is one of the only, if not the only, state where. Uh, the roofing contractor is is deregulated. They don't have a licensing program that people have to participate in. Uh, I imagine Kansas has a lot more regulations in that particular area because I haven't heard we we do business in Kansas and I haven't really heard of any of those same kind of challenges in Kansas. Now, what are you seeing uh, in in your market in your part of the country as being some of the the bigger challenges that your member agents are? Uh, communicating with you guys and, and experiencing in their offices? Well, there's always difficulty in hiring good talent. You know, we hear that a lot. And yep. that's something that we try and help our members. But specifically on the legislative side, we're looking into um, different things on the state level. We have a surplus lines tax of 6%. And we want to understand as uh, the market has been hardening a little bit. We want to understand why is that 6% and and where is that money going and, and how does that benefit the consumer? And we want to understand that. Um, motor vehicle reports, those costs have been increasing in our state. So again, we want to understand why, wh why are the costs to motor vehicle reports increasing? This is a cost directly on our members and also on our carrier partners. So things like that people don't really think about. Even sometimes our members don't think about. We're advocating for the entire independent agency channel as well. So even if you're not a member, uh, we're still uh, advocating at the state level and the national level for for the independent agency channel. Yeah, so... Indirectly, what you just said is people are enjoying the benefits of the big eye, whether they're a member or not. So if you're like me and you don't like the idea of someone else carrying your water for you, you should probably join an association pronto. You know, PIA and the big eye are, are the two largest ones for the PNC world for sure, like by, by a landslide. Really the only two relevant PNC focused, you know, trade associations uh, to my knowledge. I'm sure I'll get an angry email now that I've said those are the only two. I'm sure there's a third one that I'm not aware of uh, somewhere in the country. And, you know, by all means, if you want to shoot me an email, it's podcast at agencyfreedom.com. Uh, yeah, I'll be happy to dialogue with uh, whoever I just offended. But, uh, yeah, make sure that you out there, Freedom Jumper, make sure that you are, you know, buying your ticket for the boat, so to speak. Because you get to ride in the boat whether you're a member or not. So, if you're like me and you feel a, a moral obligation to you know, contribute uh, to the work that's being done on your behalf, make sure you're joining your local association. You know, do like I did, join both of them, you know, Big I and PIA. Uh, and they both do good work in, in some different ways. And then there's some interaction and, in, you know, in the various state legislatures and, and certainly in Washington, D.C., where 
know, the big I and PIA play on the same team most of the time for sure. But uh, hey, Josh, as we look forward to, you know, land this plane, we've had some really good content in this episode. And thank you again for joining us. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to hit before we go? Well, I feel like we could talk all day. Um, I guess I would bring it back to my original point and where I started my career and what I think independent agency owners in general should focus more on is the claims experience and management of the claim. When a policyholder has a claim, we're selling that promise and not enough of the independent agency channel is focused on walking through our policyholders through that claim, making sure that they become whole because that's why they're paying premiums. They want us to be there when they have a claim. And not every independent agent even understands the claims process. So if you don't understand the claims process, how are you going to help your policyholder manage that claim and advocate for them to the carrier? Uh, So that is something that um, is a topic that could really be discussed and, and, and dive into, but really 30,000 feet is if you want to increase your attention, if you want another sales tool, look at your claims that you have within your agency and pay attention to those. Call your policyholder. See if they have questions. I got many lifetime clients. Obviously, I sold my book from claims and walking through my policyholders through those claims and making sure they were made whole and they trust yep. you and you build trust through that. So yeah, I think man, I, I could not agree more uh, with what you just said. The claim experience is where the rubber hits the road. It's as we say in my office uh, here at Riskwell, the claim is the delivery of the promise you made at the point of sale. You know, it's when you get to remind that insured of why they picked your office. Uh, too many times, uh, and this is, you know, we're guilty of this from time to time as well, but too many times the, you know, the retail agent, you know, gets the claim notification, they, you know, submit it to the carrier or get on the phone with the insured and take the first notice of loss report and they send it off and they're on to the next thing and they never follow up with the insured to see how communication went inside the claim. You know, did it go the way you wanted it to? You know, is there anything that we could help you with to get a better outcome? They're just on to the next thing. I think that's a huge miss. Uh, it's a, missing a really good opportunity to deliver value and build trust and rapport with the insured. Absolutely. I 100% agree with what you just said. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap this thing up and go home? The only other thing is, again, for agency owners, um, if you're an agency owner or aspiring agency owner, operate your business more from an entrepreneur's perspective than an insurance agent who owns a small business and employs producers and a service team. Structure your agency like other small businesses in other industries. You got sales, but you also have service. You could have specialized people within those departments. You've got marketing, you've got head of technology, claims management, as I discussed, accounting. Um, But I see a lot of more traditional insurance agencies. You have sales and service, and that's what you have. And and, um, if you don't know where to start, reach out to myself. Reach out to your local state association. There's resources there to help you. Uh, But the people that that, the agency owners that are going to win in the short term and long term are going to be digitally data driven and entrepreneurial and, and running their business as an entrepreneur in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Again, 100% agree for sure. We've we've covered that ground a lot on this podcast. So uh, anybody listening to that episode who's heard my other content is sitting there going, I'm pretty sure there's an echo in here because Josh just said what James has been saying. So maybe I should start acting like an entrepreneur. No, that, that is probably a great way to end this episode with those two really solid pieces of advice, Josh. And Uh, Thank you again for being here with us uh, on uh, AFP. Folks, he is Josh Goodman. Uh, He is the, what is it, Business Development Manager? Is that your title? Yeah, Director of Business Development at Kansas Association Insurance Agents. And I appreciate the invite, James. Yeah, man. Um, This was a lively conversation. You you hit on a lot of topics uh, that people are asking about, you know, comments on, on 
these groups on Facebook and whatnot, certainly conversations offline that I have with our peers in the industry. So uh, this was great. I think this one's going to be very well received. So uh, thanks again for your time. And folks, I'm going to go ahead and wrap the episode right there. Uh, we will get it next time. Thanks again uh, for being here and sharing your valuable time with us. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We will talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is. To, to fix a problem, the first thing you've got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial, but you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland. And we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.